Welcome to the cocoon, where the 99% transform into 100%. I'm your host, Michael Baker, and you're listening to the Open Door Podcast Series. Please welcome my guest from Portland, Oregon, Patrick Sampson. Patrick Sampson, the Patrick Sampson. Oh, there's many of us in the world. (laughs) (laughs) Patrick, thank you for, for showing up today in the snow. Definitely. Snowmageddon in yeah. Portland, Oregon. Yeah, well, we get an inch of snow here. It's the end of the world. What's <laughs> kind we of Listen crazy. to people or talk to people across the, the U.S. who live in other areas and you know, they laugh. But Of course, uh, as they should. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> so, Patrick, um, you're, you're in town. I haven't seen you for a while and I would like to just introduce you to everybody. I met Patrick. Has it gone on three years now? I think it's three years. You got to be kidding me. Okay, yeah. I found you. I found <laughs> you. I, I saw you in a meetup group. Yep. Um, and, you know, I, I, I know this thing. I always say I see energy. I, I just saw your face, but I, saw, I read what you were um, doing. And I'm like, I want to work with him. You know, you, you were doing some similar things. You had a similar... Uh, uh, context and I just I was like you had it I saw what you were up to I'm like he's got it down and that's who I want to collaborate collaborate with is he a collaborator and you have turned out to be indeed a collaborator and there's a lot of people who are not and uh, you have been there every step of the way and I'm just so excited to have you here so likewise you know when you see someone in a room sometimes you just know that you need to talk to that person and we got a, a bit of that vibe the first time that we um, had a chance to chat. And when people go enter my life in that capacity, um, it's a pleasure. Because to your point, it's it's not the norm in our world hmm. uh, to be so open in that capacity uh, right away with folks. So yeah, and we did. We met right away. We I think it was a Starbucks, wasn't it? It was. It was Starbucks. Yeah. Yeah. Remember that? We were drawing I, things down, and you were like. Okay, you need to tone it down. <laughs> you gave me the speech like everybody else did. Well, I, I knew Which instantly you were three, four iterations ahead. <laughs> right, and, right. And that's that's what we talked about. Um, yeah. And Wade, I remember in that first conversation vividly, weighing whether it is best to push that to the forefront or if you pair back and go one, two iterations ahead to get people to three, four. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's still an interesting conversation that we're still having, but, um, you know, I think we're seeing a, a progression forward for those that, that continue to think in that way. And then technology is widening that gap further and further. I don't know how you stop it. Um, but to continue to try to match, mm-hmm. um, those thoughts and energy with innovation. Okay, so you've you've gone ahead of, of, of sure. before that because that's cool, and we're going to come back to that. Yeah. All right, because yeah. some of these people are like, what are they talking about? Yeah, well, that uh, was our first conversation. <laughs> <laughs> it was yeah. all right. First of all, tell everybody what are you what are you doing? What do you do? We have a company, and I use that language very strategically. Um, we have a company that helps at its core nonprofit foundations with fundraising. Mm. With fundraising, okay. Yes. We also help philanthropists and aspiring philanthropists better understand philanthropy mm-hmm. and set up and administer their giving vehicles, as well as consult them on how to strategically give their money away. Ooh. That's so we a- play on both sides. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. What's the name of your, your company that you guys have? It is called Kogio. Kogio. Yes. What's the meaning of that? Wow. 
when we first met, there was a product that we were working on called Kogostar. Yes. That was the first iteration. And Kogostar was a social media plus crowdfunding platform for nonprofits, foundations, and companies, as well as individuals. Um, That was 10, 15 years ahead of its time. And I think it really resonated with you because you are three, four iterations ahead. <laughs> but when I got to know the development world, yeah. aka yes. fundraising world, a bit deeper, um, I realized it was only about 5% of the market mm-hmm. called annual giving, um, retail. So high amounts of people, small amounts of dollars, that type of attraction. I'm not a direct appeal with one person more intimately, but more of a widespread online um, solicitation mm-hmm. platform. And uh, currently where we're at in our country, in our uh, society, it still is, is such a nascent part of fundraising. The vast majority comes from offline. It comes from individuals as well. 72% of all money raised on average in the last three years has come from individuals. Interesting. So um, One individual. Well, individuals versus companies, foundations, and what we right. call bequests, which is mm. giving away your money um, in a trust or um, a will, a testament, okay. after you die. Okay. Um, but the vast majority of it comes from individuals. So, uh, and when you say individuals, you mean groups of individuals, or you mean, are, are, are you not speaking of a individual? Yes, uh, you're correct. So, in general, um, people as in non-corporations, non-foundations, okay. non death-related transfers of wealth. Yes, yeah. okay. So you write a check to uh, KBU, mm-hmm. right? As an example, that would be an individual giving money to yes. KBU. Okay. And this is what you... Okay, so keep going with your with your story here. Yeah, so that was the beginning of the company. It was uh, CocoStar, mm-hmm. the platform. And we quickly realized that 95% of the fundraising world, on, approximately, uh, resided outside of that. And so in the spirit of wanting to have as much impact as possible in the immediate iteration, um, we chose to expand our services to a more comprehensive approach to fundraising, Mm. which um, comprises mainly of consulting now on how to achieve those other elements than online, as well as online. Um, And the goal over time is to progress forward with technology at whatever level is going to be most impactful. Um, mm-hmm. To uh, allowing these resource or these organizations to have the resources to really support the communities that they do, um, we feel very passionate about uh, at Cogio about uh, the nonprofit industry being one that supports what capitalism optimizes. It's the the last flow of capitalism. Okay, can you uh, you know expound upon that? Yeah, sure. So. <laughs> Uh, I used to be a wealth manager before we started Kogostar. Mm-hmm. And as a wealth manager, I discovered that um, our financial systems are very complex in how they worked. You used to, back even a hundred years ago, have more of an idea of where money transferred directly. So if you were someone working on the railroads, you knew whose wealth you were building up. Mm-hmm. You know. um, and nowadays, uh, there's more opportunity for working class, more opportunity for middle class um, people in our society to live better qualities of life. And the disparity of wealth isn't as separated. However, some of those systems that we were enabling as wealth managers were still 
providing those structures to uh, preserve wealth for mm. people that have obtained it. Um, and that's great. People work very hard for their money. Um, they have careers that they build towards. Yeah. But as a wealth manager, I was, um, in essence, trying to preserve that and grow that money for the select clients mm -hmm. that we had, which, again, was great. There's nothing wrong with that, per se. But uh, I quickly discovered for myself that I wanted to be someone that broke those barriers down mm. and allowed the flow of capitalism to benefit the community and the masses. Okay. Um, so that's where the initial premise of Kogo Star started. So I'm hearing that you were saying, you know, I would like this to benefit more people than just a concentrated group of people. Yeah, and this is a very important point. Um, in our society, I believe everyone by default is altruistic. I think our society suppresses that altruism. Mm. Whether it's having to pay for gas in your car or childcare or all the things that it costs for us to survive in this monetary system. Mm -hmm. And so only until you are to a place where you mentally have enough mm. can you start to think about others in mm -hmm. that capacity, in general. Mm -hmm. um, this is what we found. Um, Survival, basically. Yeah. Some people, that's $1 in their bank account. For others, it's $10 billion, or they'll never get to that point in mm. time. But we see this mental flip for folks. And I think the vast majority of people are altruistic. It's how do you unlock that altruism? So um, by default, our society has in some ways defined what charity is. And people think charity when they hear the word nonprofit. Um, not always the case. Mm. right? But um, they have this concept of charity being sort of social services only mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it can really be anything it can be bill nye's planetary society in pasadena mm -hmm. you know does space exploration it can be a uh, amateur soccer club mm. it can be a nutrition program mm -hmm. it can be an independent high school where you're focusing um elite education um and so um the first thing that we try to really work on is educating people on what nonprofits are. Yes. And uh, which they simply are a, simple, a different tax structure than a for-profit company. Okay. Can you get into that? Because you know, we're, we're, this is all about education as well. Sure. So, sure. Um, nonprofit structure. If you are selling uh, a product like popcorn, you're a for-profit company, right? You have a product that you're selling. Um, you have some sort of business development to sell that product. You have a representative working with grocery stores if you're into big mass production. Um, you have those channels where those transactions are occurring. In the nonprofit industry, you're selling the services on the, as a business representative of that nonprofit. Every nonprofit has a service element to it mm -hmm. of their programming and they have the business side right mm. the business side has a different flavor than the person who's representing the popcorn company right but if you're a what they call a development officer at a nonprofit, and let's say your your specific task is um major gifts um, focusing on high uh, dollar values, low amounts of transactions to uh, support the organization, you're doing 
no different of an activity. Mm-hmm. You're selling that concept to the donor that that nonprofit is in this current system um, being very successful in how they implement their programming, hmm. the service side. And so um, charity is a part of the nonprofit world. Um, social services do charity work. Hmm. There's no one defined set of rhetoric, though, mm-hmm. that um, really causes this convoluted nature and how we understand who we are uh, in this industry. So lots of words get thrown out. Foundations get thrown right. out. Nonprofits. Which are different. Uh, yeah, foundations, nonprofits. Yes. Is there a difference? Tax-exempt status, you yeah. know, uh, nonprofit public benefit companies. Yeah. You know, all these <laughs> blah, things blah, blah, that are thrown blah. out there. Yeah. Um, let me tell you how we've defined okay. it so that um, the listeners can understand that at a deeper level and take whatever they want and institute it within their understanding. Um, when you start a tax-exempt organization, you first have to register at the state level. Then you have to apply to the IRS for tax-exempt status so you can offer tax-deductible donations to mm-hmm. people. It's called the 1023 application. And doesn't that take a long time? <laughs> it can. It can. It really depends. Okay. Um, there's a shorter form now. If you're not raising a lot of money, it can be a shorter amount of time. They call it the easy form. But in essence, yes, it can take from 6 to 18 months to complete the entire application cycle. Okay. But when you're doing that, that is really the government's way of understanding in that 1023 application what type of activity you want to do in the exempt industry. Are you a nonprofit that both takes in money or desire to be a nonprofit that both takes in money and run mm-hmm. programs? Mm-hmm. Are you a nonprofit or an exempt organization that just wants to give away money? Mm. Are you um, an exempt organization that wants to um, be selective in its funding pool and come from just a select number of people but still run programmings? Mm. They call that a private um, operating foundation. Do you want to be um, simply a take in of money but then granting out but have it come from many different resources which are commonly called community foundations okay see now that's it's all over it's all over the place yes so here's how we define it okay Um, these are all exempt organizations okay and exempt means it's a technical term that the irs uses on their application so that's why we use it. And so tax ex- exempt, so exempt from taxation. You're not paying taxes on what? When you do your tax return, which ends up being a 990 form for the for, for the, the non for yeah. the entity, the yes. organization, however yeah. you define it, nonprofit, foundation, etc. There are certain benefits of not having to pay taxes on some of the operating activity if mm-hmm. it goes toward your mission. Okay, that's a very convoluted, deep discussion you should have with the CPA. Right. right. <laughs> but that the highest level is, yes. is where it comes. Here's how we define it. An organization that takes in money from the public, so meaning from many sources, and runs programming, so pays for programming with those sources, is called a nonprofit organization. Mm. An organization that um, gathers its resources from maybe one family mm-hmm. or a select few people mm-hmm. and only grants out money, doesn't mm-hmm. run programs, we call that a private non-operating foundation. Okay. Private operating... Non-operating foundation. Okay, foundation. Otherwise so known as a family anything. foundation basically, in some circles. Basically, yeah. they're just giving out money. Correct. Yeah. Now, would the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation be a private 
operating foundation? They run some programming. Um, they're technically a uh, private foundation trust mm. because it's how it's set up instead of a corporation. Okay. Uh, I believe. Um, for those fact checkers out there, okay. <laughs> prove me wrong. I believe that's the case. Yeah. Um, but okay. yes, it was started with one big pocket of wealth, and then it transitioned into gathering some additional pockets of wealth. But yes, in essence, if they were starting that organization today, and it was only Bill's money mm-hmm. that was going into that, it would be my guess that the IRS would classify that as a private, non-operating mm-hmm. family foundation. Right. Okay. Um, although I think they run programs now. And is there a different tax structure for these various, um, I mean, are are they getting taxed differently? Is that what it's all about? The only rules that tend to change with that are the amount that you can deduct from your own personal taxes for contributing either stock or money to that organization. Ah, okay. So I'll give you an example. And this is why it's really important to define these, right? And we really defined foundation as the latter of what I'll go over and nonprofits as the former. Um, Nonprofit organizations, typically, you can, if you itemize in your tax return, deduct up to 50% of your adjusted gross income if you're uh, contributing cash, Mm -hmm. and up to 30% of in-kind donations, um, including stock, I believe. For private foundations, it's 30% cash, 20%. Um, in kind. So it's a lower rate that Uh the IRS allows simply because at that level, uh, I think they're assuming that people are using it for a tax benefit, Mm -hmm. which is great. They're incentivizing people, and that's the system that we live in. Mm. However, one... Wait wait a minute. They're incentivizing. Incentivizing. I don't know why I got stuck in that. For what? What are are they trying to incentivize? You have a group of people have money. Okay, put it in a foundation. Mm-hmm. They get a lower tax break than people who have programs. So the incentive is what? Help people understand. What is the incentive? To, is this about money flow? Is this about making sure that money is moving? In a way, yes. So think about it this way. Who's contributing to the organization? Mm-hmm. If it's many people, and there's what's called a one-third test, which basically over three years, if more than one-third of the donations are coming from people other than one resource, Mm -hmm. then it's classified as a public operating nonprofit. Just like a regular nonprofit, Mm -hmm. like KBOO. Mm -hmm. Like KBOO. If that fails, then it goes into the private foundation realm Mm. in whatever flavor, you know, is non-operating, operating, operating, et cetera. Okay. The the two distinctions really at at that first iteration level are public nonprofit, as we're using in defining the Mm -hmm. the terminology. Yes. And... Or private foundation, so foundation in the sense of giving away money, okay, as their primary mo, right, right. So, um, the reason they do that is to incentivize the continual flow of capital into those organizations, which then provide whatever safety net and or um, augmenting nature onto capitalism that they operate in their existence is is there for. Can you make that? Sure. So language. <laughs> a, an example of that is HealthRight360 in San Francisco. Okay. Um, they work with us. They're a social service organization. They service people that, um, for the most part, don't have insurance, but need rehab okay. services. They need dental work. They okay. need Good. Uh, medical attention in some capacity. They work with 38,000 people a year. Mm. Um, that need help with, yeah. with health services. They they are not able to get those services within traditional capitalistic structures. 
um, I'm not going to name huge names of healthcare companies, but <laughs> we all know them mm-hmm. um, by purchasing healthcare in a traditional way. Because it's too expensive. Yeah. Yeah. So um, they also serve a lot of people coming out of incarceration. Mm-hmm. So when they're coming out, they don't have insurance. So where do they go? It's this type of organization that supports this. So um, they they provide the insurance, the money to the healthcare services. Okay, the yes. healthcare services, the actual services themselves. Oh, okay, yeah. So that's a great example of where that organization is playing safety net for capitalism, mm. right? And where um, the support of that type of agency, agency meaning nonprofit, synonymous um, terminology, is really um, servicing the rest of the market that capitalism can't mm-hmm. because of monetary desire. Okay. Now, again, this is only one side of the nonprofit industry. This mm-hmm. is the charity, quote unquote, side, mm-hmm. right? The people, I think, in our world think of as nonprofits. Mm-hmm. Um, however, a very wealthy uh, independent school that has elite education isn't necessarily, they have a quote unquote charitable purpose of providing education. Mm-hmm. But that's not the same context of how right. the vast majority of our society thinks of charity. Right. They still benefit from the nonprofit structure. Right. Right. They do, don't they? Professional athletic associations um, that we're all familiar with. The NFL was one for a while. Was it not? Was an actual nonprofit? Yeah. The PGA was, in a sense, a really? nonprofit. Yeah. The uh, tournaments are structured as independent nonprofits and have volunteers. Whoa. The USTA. Um, the United States um, Tennis Association, in its own way, is a nonprofit as well. I had no idea. Yes. So, uh, and again, don't quote me on all these, but I, I believe these are things that have come up in my world that um, I'm fairly certain about. Okay. Um, we'll, ch- we'll check. We'll check. We'll, yeah. we'll make sure. But but they they do have the option and the ability to do those things. Okay. Yeah. And they do these things. Well, let me, not to lose track, but hospitals. Hospitals are, are one as well. Are nonprofits? Yes, they are. See, I want to get to something because now, now I'm starting to like okay because I want to give people ideas about what's possible. Anything, That's, yeah. It's a tax structure. Don't let society's perception of charity fog the possibility of what can be done within okay. a nonprofit. So, are you saying that we could, as a group of people, create our own healthcare services? Let's say we have. Um, people doing uh, uh, acupuncture, chiropractor, they're getting other things, and we're providing for homeless people here in Portland, Oregon. We provide a uh, food you know, food carts for them to um, eat and certain programs, and we set that up with many different healthcare providers as a nonprofit. We could do that as a group of many different people and, and uh, operate that to provide services to people, yes? Yes, and I would classify that as a social, social service um, charitable purpose, right? Mm. The, when you use the key demographic of homeless mm. or people in need, that instantly, in my mind, triggers social service. doesn't necessarily have to be that. Now, that's a fantastic thing to have. Mm-hmm. But it could be everyday people who are working um, mm. who have the ability to pay into a healthcare system. In fact, a great example of that is Kaiser. Yeah. Kaiser is a nonprofit. Kaiser, yeah. Um it who it's set up as a nonprofit and their l- let's qualify this. Their healthcare services. See, that hospital that's there. We can create other kinds of services. Yes. yes. That's what people don't realize. It's that yes. it doesn't just have to be that. It can be many different ways. Just people 
sometimes don't realize it. And well, they don't. And it's not creative enough to go, wait a minute, we could do things a different way. That's where I'm getting with this. Well, the, besides being a dear friend to you, <laughs> one of the main reasons why um, I think you're having us have this discussion today is that educational piece. Yes. To help people understand what's possible, to tap into a resource that has um, and wants to share that a lot of these things are not the common perception of our society. Um, however, they're incredibly opportunistic in the most um, you know, positive of ways to inspire people to move in a direction where these organizations or these types of structures can achieve what they're actually looking to do. Yes. Right. Um, ironically, though, it takes a lot more effort and knowledge to set up one of these organizations mm -hmm. and to administer them over time than it does to start a for-profit company. And why is that? I think the official stance would be that... Um, because these tax structures provide benefits financially to people to contribute to them, that they need to be protected with a lot of oversight in order to not be taken advantage of. So they're not being used for personal purpose. gain mm -hmm. is the terminology right. that they right. use, be uh, the IRS, the government. So give you an example. Um, you set up a foundation that wants to give away scholarships for college. Mm -hmm. I set one up as well. Well, Instead of my own personal capital paying for my child to go to a very expensive private school, how about we, behind closed doors, make an agreement where I give your kid a scholarship, you give my kid a scholarship, <laughs> now we've basically tax, had a tax deduction for paying for college. That's something that was a huge red flag right. from the IRS, and people have tried to use this system in that type of way. I think that's the official answer for why they would give you the oversight. Um, I don't want to say excuse, the reasoning mm -hmm. for the vast amounts of regulation that goes on in this industry. I see. Yeah. Okay. So it, it is it is quite a bit of work to set up a various different kinds of nonprofit stru structures. Yes. It okay. would take you about a week to file the paperwork with any given state to become a C corporation, an S corporation, an LLC, and now a benefit corporation mm -hmm. um, with, I believe, it, or up to 22 states. I could be wrong. And what has it been? Someone, Samantha, who was on here the other day, uh, yeah. Samantha Thomas, was talking about benefit corporations. What is a benefit corporation? Yes. Um, before we jump into that, okay. though, I want to make sure that I answer your previous okay. question. Thank you. It, um, when it comes to starting a nonprofit, here's typically how it flows. You register with the state. Then once you're registered with the state, you have to go apply with the IRS, uh, the, the 1023 application. After you get your application status back from the IRS, which, oh, by the way, might go back and forth with an agent for a while, or they might deny you. Um, once you receive that, then you have to go back to the state that you registered in, tell them that you are registered, then registered with a separate body that is the equivalent of a charitable trust oversight agency. So one that um, oversees charitable activity um, where people can complain about charities. There's a specific setup within every secretary of state's equivalent in every state to monitor this activity. Hmm. Then after that's done, any activity that you fundraise in a different state, you technically have to go register with that state's organization equivalent of 
the charitable oversight committee. It doesn't happen because uh, the vast majority of nonprofits, um, one, don't have the resources to do that, or two, the regulation, um, there's just not enough people to regulate it. Right. But those are the rules. And then every year you have to register um, all your activity with that charitable um, arm. I see. Um, if you run a raffle in California, for example, you have to register that. Oh my goodness! Okay. Yeah, so so quite a bit of work. That you know, in long story, is just a flavor of, and every state's different as well. Every mm-hmm. state have, has different rules. So take online fundraising, for example. Some consider it um, multi-state. Um, that you're going into multiple states for fundraising if you send that email and someone opens it in a different state. Some don't even have any care in the world that you're doing that. So um, the long story of that answer is it's vastly more complex and convoluted to start one of these organizations and to maintain one than to simply start a for-profit entity. Now, At current? At current state. Okay. Um, so you have two options. You to answer your further question about benefit corporations, mm-hmm. you can go the benefit corporation route and institute some of these social impact um, components into your for-profit business and set up the structures in that capacity, but still have shareholders that benefit at the end of the day from the corporate activity. Hmm. You can go the full regular for-profit route where you don't have any accountability to that, um, or you can go the non-profit route. And institute that without shareholders. Those are really your options in terms of if you have a certain initiative you'd like to achieve, like the the um, healthcare mm-hmm. example that you gave. Yeah. And um, you know, at that point in time, um, when the company's being started, you have to make that decision. Right. It, 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 when the company's being started, it's Correct. very clear uh, if you're setting structures up or wanting to do this that you do things at the beginning of your company, why? Or Whenever, I, I always go back to analogies with nature because mm-hmm. it's one everyone can understand, mm-hmm. it's one I resonate with, and I also believe that nature is, it's all, the answers are there. <laughs> Indeed. You will get the byproduct out of what you put in. If you plant seeds that are GMO affected, you're going to get GMO plants. Mm-hmm. It's the same intention when one is starting a company mm. or a nonprofit or an, any sort of legal entity. Um, it's very important to think through these things prior to executing upon the legal and accounting um, requirements from our society's perspective. Um, the toughest thing for startup entrepreneurs which can use nonprofits as a structure. I think sometimes it's so hard to project what that's going to be in the future for yourself that maybe two years from now, what would have made sense for you to start today wasn't what was in your mind with your initial intention. So I think that can be really hard for some people and sometimes the right answer is to start a new legal structure and start over. Um, Of course, there's iterative ability in between the structures of... You know, if you start with one, you can accomplish a social goal within that same structure, but it might take a little maneuvering. However, if you sit down and have a real refined intention when you start, it's going to make that entity that much more effective mm. to maximizing the benefits of that tax structure. 
right? If um, I'll give you a great example. Yeah. This lady called me about a week ago. She's doing incredible programming in inner city kid inner city schools in Los Angeles when it comes to STEM. Uh, STEM. STEM. What so science, mean? technology, engineering, and mathematics. Okay. And some would say STEAM by adding <laughs> art as, in, as well oh, okay. in there. Um, everything is an art. But um, she is wildly successful with her programming. She came to me and she said, I'm not quite sure which route I want to go with this. I'm. It's super successful. I'm getting contracts from the district. Do I want to go with a for-profit model and maximize the benefit financially? Is that going to achieve my end goal of impact in a grander way or should i go to be a nonprofit and instead of selling these services offer them for free but have foundations and donors be the ones that in essence support the costs necessary to achieve hmm. this stuff and I, the response i said was first i laid this out to her i said look it's no different you need to choose which one you want to go go that direction and staff up accordingly find the experts in whatever realm, whether it's fundraising development, if you go the nonprofit route, mm-hmm. and tailoring your message to that audience to support your programming, or you need to go the for-profit route and have more traditional business development channels and have sales teams that go out and sell this product in a, in a contractual mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. Um, nonprofits can also run non-charitable uh, purpose activities, which is taxed upon as well, which is right. a big key. Right. So uh, that's another thing that I gave to her. I said, well, if the IRS approves you for this charitable purpose, let's say exploring space, and you go off and you do something, you know, the Bill Nye example, but then you go off and you um, you want to sell mustard in the grocery store, you can do that, but it's going to get taxed because it's not part of your charitable purpose that's mm. been approved. So I said to her, look, if you wanted your charitable purpose to be this, you can still do the nonprofit entity, but then whatever is deemed not to be part of your charitable purpose by the IRS, you can still have sort of that functionality of for-profit taxation, Mm -hmm. uh, revenues and expenses, but you're going to get taxed on that activity. Mm. The main difference, though, that also needs to be asked at the beginning of setting up one of these organizations is do you want to be a shareholder that benefits Mm. either from dividends or the eventual Mm -hmm. sell of that company or do you want to take that off the table and have none of that be a part of your ecosystem and in essence have the board of directors who are elected Mm -hmm. via the bylaws and the folks that are on the board be the ones that manage that organization but it doesn't benefit anyone other than salaries yeah. you can still pay salaries and there's no salaries are different salaries than when i different. say benefit financially benefit as a profit like we're taking a stake i have a stock in this company and yes. on the profits of it we take this but no whatever profits are there go back into the company but we pay very nice salaries yeah where it really goes to is um either a bank account where it sits as money mm-hmm. or it goes into an investment account where it becomes an endowment uh, we can touch on that later. Yeah, well, that's a di- that's but, a different show. <laughs> but that's that's the end of where that cycle Got of it. flow of capital goes in a nonprofit organization or an ex- tax exempt organization, I should say. Now, let me jump in here. Couldn't well, I'm saying couldn't because yeah. of course I'm doing thinking all these things. Yeah. I what I just heard was either or, um, but what I'm interested in, um, 
uh, is discussing is social, uh, what I call social enterprise or even social business. Mm-hmm. And on that note, we, we really, you're going to have to come back for another, <laughs> another show. So we're, we'll, we're, you're really not going to leave. I always say that because we're just going to stay here. But uh, for the sake of, you know, time, um, will you stay here and, and keep, this is a great conversation. I didn't realize we were going to talk about this. I'm like, okay, wait a minute. <laughs> I'm the student now. I'm like learning all these things, sure. but very engaged. So sure. uh, will you come back and uh, do another session with us? Absolutely. Okay. Sounds good. Okay. Patrick Sampson, and we will see you guys come back and listen to this next segment. Um, thanks, Patrick, for coming down, and we'll see you in a bit. You're welcome. You've been listening to the Open Door podcast series. The Open Door is part of the Cocoon, the creative action centers of online open source networks. Tune in weekly where we share ideas on consciousness, health, and creativity. Together, we are taking action where the 99% transform into 100%.